players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic of the Gathering. Shardless Agent, Ardent Plea, Violent Outburst and many others, battling head to head in brutal combat as they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and search for eternal glory. And with Valentine's Day around the corner, a poem to make your heart flutter. Roses are red, violets are red, everything is red, I activate Grindstone. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bacharel on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 42 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Feedback to Back. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing? I've missed you. Yeah, it's been too long since we've done this. Two weeks is uh, basically an eternity. Well, it's not even two weeks. Like two weeks ago, we didn't talk. We just were like, wizards should really do something. But I didn't get to really communicate with you guys. It's been a full month since we just hung out like bros. All right. Well, bros, what have you been up to? Well, my girlfriend got a new job since the last time we really talked. Uh, We met at work. We have worked together for the entirety of knowing each other, like our friendship leading up to our relationship and since we've been dating. So we don't commute together anymore. I don't see her around the building anymore. It's a bit of a change, but mostly I'm just jealous that she got a new job, and I want one too. <laughs> well, congrats to her, and, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll get those uh, those rich YouTube dollars to just, just keep piling in, and, uh, and maybe you do that full-time, huh? Yeah, when do I get that Tolarian Community College money? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be Tolarian Harvard University. <laughs> So outside of that, what have you been doing to keep busy? Uh, Well, I rediscovered two old shows that I enjoyed a lot when I watched them before, but I lost touch with them, and they both had several seasons available for me to binge. Uh, The first is Shameless. I'm on that show. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like, actually? Like an extra? Uh, there, There is a Philip Gallagher in that show. Oh, yeah, he goes by Lip. That's right. Yep. Yep. He is one of the main characters. Uh, I, I have. For, I forgot been, that's your name. I have been encountered by a few people drunkenly going like, you like Lip from Shameless? Are you the same person? It was it was very awkward. Did you inform them it's a fictional TV show that takes place in Chicago? Um, I, I was from Chicago. That didn't help. Oh, wow. Okay. Blown out. Can All Phil right. talk in that like drunken slur the rest of the episode? I would actually really like that. All right, so this Oko motherfucker, I'm done with him. Wow, that went from, like, slurry to just mean. Phil's a mean drunk. I don't drink. I never have. So I have a lot of interactions with people using that voice who are like, oh, my God, you are so brave and smart for never getting drunk like this. And it must be really annoying to be around people who are drunk as me right now and i'm like yep <laughs> uh, i've had that interaction probably 500 times in my life 
Yeah. But anyway. Shameless. Uh, there are 11 seasons of that show now. I binged the first seven four years ago. And I then I just forgot about it. Because when you binge seven seasons of a show, you're just kind of off it for a while. Like the, the seventh season, by the time I watched it, it was just like work. Like, uh, I got to finish now. But it's been four full years. There are four new seasons for me to enjoy. And the show is great. It's fresh again. And I'm enjoying that. Also, Attack on Titan is running its fourth and final season right now. And I didn't really watch the third season. I, I watched like two episodes of it, according to my my streaming service. Uh, looks like I watched like one and a half episodes of season three. So I've binged all of season three and the first four or five episodes of season four at this point. And... That show's great. I really liked season three. I hope season four pays off in a big way because I don't like how it started. I loved season one of that show and I quit in season two because it was god awful. (laughs) That's fair, but you're also an anime person and I am not. This is just uh, like what I like about Attack on Titan is that it scares me. Like not like jump scares, not like a horror movie, but like laying in bed at night thinking about like the existential dread of living in the world they live in like genuinely like to my intellectual core is scary to me and i really appreciate that so something something parallels to the pandemic something something all right uh moving on (laughs) fair uh and my last thing i'm working on right now is I, i recently learned that renting out movie theaters for private parties is basically movie theaters entire business model right now like you could always do that. It was just really expensive. But now it's like 200 bucks and you can bring 20 people. So like a normal movie ticket on like a Saturday night at an AMC theater is like 12.50. So for 10 bucks a person, you're you're having a cheaper experience than a normal movie and you get to hang out with 19 friends in an environment that is mostly closed right now. So I am making a real push to get that done for Godzilla versus Kong. And it seems like I've planted the seed in other friends' heads who are going to be organizing around Ghostbusters and Dune. So I might have a, a several movie dates coming up in the the near future that I wasn't expecting. Got to get uh, a little more creative than uh, than normal on the whole socializing front. I've right, been, and uh... for those of us <laughs> for those of us who made a run on AMC with the the Reddit stocks, we need to prop it up where we can. Fair, yeah. Um... So kind of pseudo related, I, I, I got my second vaccine um, injection recently, uh, which is cool. Very happy about that. Uh, I was very sleepy for the next three days. Uh, like that's a side effect. That's cool. Still like 100% on board with it. But now my girlfriend and I are, are starting to talk and it's like, well, at what point do we try to like go and socialize with other humans? And like, it seems like a easy conversation, but it's like, oh, man, there's like a whole bunch of ethical stuff here. Like, now I'm safe. I don't yet know whether or not I'm still a carrier for these things. Like, ah. Well, uh, Phil, if you watch the Super Bowl, no one cares anymore. Uh, That place was packed. So I think you just go out, spread the Rona, enjoy yourself, right? Like, that's the new model. (laughs) Oh, some things make me just want to like tear out my eyes when I see them. And that was that was of great disappointment. 
Yeah, so I also felt that way during the Super Bowl. And the numerous shout-outs they gave to first responders and frontline workers throughout the giant super spreader event they were holding did not make me feel any better. <laughs> uh, but it was already like kind of tilting. But then the next day, I saw on Facebook that one of our local game store owners, uh, the owner of the largest game store in Pittsburgh, was at the Super Bowl. He posted a bunch of unmasked pictures with his wife at this very expensive out-of-state super spreader event after they had spent the last year being basically COVID deniers and saying that COVID was killing small business for no reason. So I'm glad they could afford this Super Bowl trip. (laughs) Good for you. You scrimped and saved, pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. It's also supposed to be the most expensive Super Bowl ever. Like I was reading that the tickets were more expensive than any other Super Bowl in history. Yeah, because there was like a quarter of the normal audience or whatever. And basically the whole thing shouldn't have existed. I, I don't know. But yeah, that was annoying. Yeah. So kind of along this line, um, I'm returning to in-person work as of next week. And the kids come back at the beginning of March. So that's something that I'm preparing to deal with after like not interacting with other humans other than my girlfriend for the past year. So Uh-oh. there's a... interacting with real pants is going to be a lot harder than humans. Yeah, I know. And also... Like, right now, I start work at 7.30, so my alarm goes off at 7.25, right? Like, I roll out of bed, I grab breakfast, I eat it while, like, checking my emails, and now I have to get up, like, 40 minutes earlier to get dressed, drive to work. I'm not ready for that. It's gonna be rough. Yeah, we had a... We've been back in person for about a month now, like I've mentioned, and when I... When I'm working in the building, my alarm goes off at 5.15. I snooze a couple times, so I actually get out of bed at like 5.45, but my workday starts at 7.30. And today, my alarm went off, and I got a phone call in between the time when my first alarm went off and when I snoozed, saying that we had a snow day. So I got to turn my alarm off for two hours and then wake up at 7.25 like I, had, like I was working at home. But that adds another fold. And I've talked about this with some other educators where our snow day is just dead now because we don't cancel school. We go virtual. We've done it twice now where, you know, sorry, kids, the, that beautiful snow outside, no sledding today. You better be on your computer. I know in Am Virginia, they were keeping some of the snow days because of like teacher technology related issues in many cases, like many of these teachers are not prepared to teach from home at you know zero notice if their equipment is at school because they have like one set of school issued equipment or whatever that's exactly what happened to me today on our first snow day it was a monday morning and i work from home on friday so i just had my school laptop at home anyway but i don't bring it home every night but i guess i have to during the winter because today i had nothing even the app on my phone that can check my email They recently revamped our email system at work, so I couldn't even do that. I tried to log in for the first time in months, and it just didn't work, got an error message. So I clocked in at 7.30, and I clocked out at 3.30, and I did nothing. Didn't even look at an email. So I I hope nobody needed me today, because I didn't do anything. I couldn't. And I like they, they sent this text message to the staff that's like, the building's open if you need anything. But like, am I supposed to drive in and brave the snow and weather that canceled school to get my fucking laptop so I can check my email? I don't think so. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not looking forward to the next two weeks because I'm going to be working from the school while teaching remotely. And at home, I have like two 27 inch monitors, like professional streaming setup, all the resources I could possibly need fast internet. And now I'm going to try to work from school where someone else is using my classroom and I have worse resources and I don't have kids yet. It's the next two weeks are going to be very weird and I don't really know what I'm going to do when I'm at work. You're gonna have to wear pants, Phil. God, I know. Yeah, this is really just a pants transition. Before we went live, <laughs> I was commenting on Phil's uh, pajama pants and Phil was saying that he hasn't worn pants in months. And I think that's really what Phil's getting at here is that he's not comfortable wearing regular pants yet. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a transition. Everything is going to like be be real tight. I don't know. Like maybe it'll be sexy. Who knows? And, like maybe you know we'll have to make the stupid sexy Flanders meme. But it's me. Like I, I don't know where this is going. Has the booty gotten thick during quarantine? Uh, I don't know. I I, I might have even like lost lost some weight or or something. Like I put That's usually I, the wrong way for yeah. a thick booty. Mm, it's rough. This is the part where we learn Phil's underlying condition this whole time has been hates pants. <laughs> Damn, and here I thought it was just like refuses to play cantrips obstinately. I've got an entirely different condition. You have a lot of underlying conditions, it seems. <laughs> All right, Bryant, how about on your end? So like Brian, I've been jumping into uh, some media. I watched Lock and Key, which is based on a comic book. I think it ended in like 2012, uh, and then recently, as in 2019, they turned it into a TV show on Netflix. It's like a slightly different Stranger Things almost. Uh, it was really cute. Like, it's not that dark, but it was really like cute and wholesome um, with like kind of weird and spooky. Definitely check it out. It was worth it. Like, uh, the old lady and I, we binged all, I think it's eight episodes in a day and a half. Like, we watched most of it the night before, then woke up the next morning and finished it. Like, we just wanted to keep watching. So, highly recommend Lock and Key. Yeah, I like that show, too. Season 2 is supposed to be coming out in March. I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not, but that's what uh, the internet says. Other than that, I decided to finish reading The Boys. It's been on my to-do list, and seeing things on my to-do list drives me insane. Like, I look at it, because I have three monitors, and one of them just has my to-do list on it, and I get anxiety looking at things on there. So I just read, like, 20 comic books. Uh, actually, it was way more than that, because there are 11 per. So, like, 35-ish comic books and finished it. There's no way the TV show ends the same way. It just can't. So I'm really interested now to see how the TV show ends and like see the parallels and you get to find out a bunch of crazy stuff like why um, Black Noir exists and stuff like that. It's just really wild. Uh, I would also recommend reading the comic book series because once I started reading again, I couldn't stop. Like I just needed to finish it. And my final thing is it's tax season, boys. And my accountant was so proud of me. Like I had everything ready to go because as a responsible tax paying individual, I have the Epic Storm shop and I have to file it every year. Uh, she was super impressed with like my organization and stuff. And what I've been doing the last two years is like literally January 1st every year, I get it all ready. So that way when she opens up her business, I just email everything all at once. And uh, it feels good to not like stress about that. Like, just here's my stuff. You do it. Ah, uh, see, 
I'm very different in that once a year I go, oh god, this is the weekend I pay the price for not keeping good records during the year. And I like comb through my PayPal and do all the uh, the tedium associated of like being a content creator and paying taxes. Yeah, this is the first year where I made enough money that I probably should file taxes on it for content creation. And I'm not excited about it. Uh, behind the scenes, I've seen some of what Bryant, his note taking, and I've started doing it for this calendar year, but that doesn't help for last year. So I'm on the fence between trying to figure it out or just YOLO, ignore it, and hope I don't get audited. <laughs> so 2013, I want to say it was, I had a really, really good Star City Games year. I won just over, like, it was like 6500 in Star City uh, dollars, you know, fake dollars. Um, it was real dollars, whatever. I'm going to shut up. Uh, but anyway, I didn't claim it. And in 2013, I want to say I was making like $31,000 a year. And that like $600 uh, that I won was a lot to me at the time. And then I got audited making like $31,000 a year out of college. And it hurt a lot when they were like, by the way, you owe us four and a half grand. And I was like, I don't have four and a half grand. Was, were those like audit fees or just they caught what you did owe they caught what i owed and then charged me on top of it youch yeah whenever like luckily not playing paper magic for the last year uh i my last giant check was from gp columbus which was at the end of 2019 and i did claim that i've claimed all my big magic checks i got a thousand dollars for pro tour uh whatever it was in in phoenix and I guess I, I'm going to have to claim that, but no big checks that I have to worry about. I just have to figure out like if they're going to come after my like $300 I made last year with Patreon or like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't fucking know. Uh, so I, I probably should try to figure it out, but I've been punished in the past because when I do try to like, there was, there was one year where I really tracked all my magic travel costs and like treated it like a business and like these are work expenses the traveling the food and the hotel and stuff tournament entries this is my income and i did all that work and at the end they were like oh this is under x thousand dollars you don't need to claim it the minimum claim is still worth more it's just like oh well fuck why did i do all that yeah for new york state i feel like i'm still in there uh it's like if it's under six hundred dollars for certain things like if it's under 600 for youtube for example you don't have to claim it if it's under 600 for patreon you don't have to claim it like you're doing yourself a disservice if you lump it all together yep i'll have to have to figure that out all right so let's go ahead and transition into our next section uh we'd like to thank good old dr bill bill schlichting for donating for the uh support of the podcast thank you very much for that and uh, just if you want to keep us running and maybe keep a good old force of Phil doing a sweet rap from time to time, consider donating to the podcast. Wow. So the, people were supposed to guess who that was on episode 50. We only have eight more episodes before people have to guess all of them, Phil, and use a ruined episode 41. Oops. All right. Take your notes, folks. Now you know something's coming up. All right. MTG updates. Um, I've done some weird things since the last time that, uh, we did this. Um, not normal weird, but, like, really far left weird. Um, I received a large bribe to record some magic content in Latin. 
Uh, so that was a very unique and difficult experience, um, but that's archived forever on YouTube now if you want to check that out and uh, see what that weirdo process was like. Did you get the Latin community in on that? Like, did did that hit the, the mainstream of like other Latin teachers or students of the language? I don't remember exactly, but I think I have like 1,200 or 1,500 views on that video. And I imagine that half of those are from the Latin peeps. Like, I, I, I spread that pretty far and wide. Because I knew, it, like, if I'm making the time to make this, and this thing gets 100 views, I'm going to die. So I, I spread it to a lot of classics-related places. Smart. Um, yeah, um, I've got some cool content coming up. I'm going to be a guest on 90s MTG tomorrow. Um, which will be in the past for you all. And then the get following wrecked. week. The following week on the 18th, I'm going to be on the Legacy Pit as well. So I actually had to order paper magic cards because I realized, like, oh, I don't have like current death and taxes right now, which is embarrassing. So I got some nice, uh, what, are they, what do they call them now? Extended art, uh, aspirants, and skyclaves. I was going to ask you, you don't have like a fan that's going to ship you like a hundred of them or anything? Uh... <laughs> I I love extended arts. Like I, I maybe I've said this before on the cast, but I, I'm like medium on foils. Like unless your whole deck's foil or like, you know, like cards that don't exist get a pass. But unless your whole deck's foil, I really hate when people have like 22 foils in their deck and... I hate the commitment of, you know, like, if I start a foiling something, I'm going to finish. So in general, for my own mental and financial health, I tend to avoid foils. But extended arts, they look hot, and they're only slightly more, and you can mix them with regular non-foil cards. I love the extended art. That's that's made for me. I prefer foreign language cards, but um, I have a lot of Star City games store credit, and uh, they didn't have foreign language, and they had full arts, so... I, I I made my choice. Hateful arts. They're the worst. Oh, Bryant. Crotchety old man. If it's not Japanese foil, it's trash. Exactly. But the the real thing is that, like, I like my cards to all have a consistent theme. And so much of Magic's history, especially Legacy, doesn't come full art. And the fact that it's just, like, not one aesthetic drives me nuts. You know what else is not one aesthetic, though? Dual lands casting Tarmogoyf. Have you seen a Tarmogoyf? The frame on that thing is crazy. Like, they're, they're, it's unavoidable. They're, there's nothing you can do other than just, like, be a maniac boomer and not put any new cards in your deck. Find evidence of me ever casting a Tarmogoyf. All right. It, it probably wasn't in your Rug Delver winning list, was it? Though, uh, Oko, Thief of Crowns. Also, magic card. Any Planeswalker, really. I mean, they're all just ones and zeros when they're online, right? Yeah, I guess. Beep boop. Yeah. And then kind of the other interesting thing I did recently was I recorded a, a vintage hate bearers league um, that I went undefeated in that kind of uh, took off. People really enjoyed that one. You know, um, vintage is the format where you can do any broken thing you want. And it turns out that hating on the broken things people were doing was actually acceptable. Was that a noble hierarch deck with uh, that that two three bird? Archon of Emeria. I've lost more fucking games to that card recently in Vintage <laughs> than like anything else because like it literally only dies to Bolt and they get to protect it super well. Yeah. Yeah. Luminarch Aspirant putting one plus one counter on that fucking bird That's is checkmate. hilariously good. 
Yeah. So I, I just today, actually, on my, my snow day, I recorded a league with Bryant's Grixis Paradoxical uh, Breach deck. And that I played against that Bears deck in the final round. And uh, I won game one. And I was like, oh, LOL, nice windswept Heath idiot. You're dead. And then game two, they had a turn to Archon of Emeria. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> Like, there's nothing. Like, I boarded in the bolts, obviously, but still, they, there wasn't one in my hand. My hand was like two pyroblasts because they had shown me spell pierce and spell queller in game one. Yeah. And I just had the wrong half. That thing is devastating. So I 5 0 with a mono white build, and then I 3 2 with the bant build that's going around right now that has like the collector oofs and stuff. And it's weird how good Archon of Ameria is because like every every part of that text box is is relevant. Like the evasion is good, the three toughness combined with anything else to protect it is is good. Like the lands entering tapped is surprisingly annoying as well. Like that's the mode I lot. always forget about. Like I remember everything else, but then I play a fetch land and I'm like, oh fuck. I'll see that mana two turns from now. Yeah, and, and like the double spell clause, also every vintage deck wants to cast two spells in a turn. Like even if it's just like Mox Sphere, that's two spells. Like it, it just crushes every deck, even the fairest ones. Yeah, <laughs> or, even that deck itself suffers from that Archon sometimes. Yeah, right. Because sure. like that one is symmetrical, unlike so many of the other recent bears. And so there were a couple of times where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play this bear, and then I'm gonna play this bear, and I played the first one, and I'm like, oh damn it. I've made a mistake. So I, I'm going to I'm gonna give a, a quick spoiler for that Vintage League I recorded today. I had one of the most hilarious cascades of punts, catching it, fixing it, repunts that I've ever had in my life. Uh, when I was doing the deck tech at the beginning, it's an Underworld Breach deck that has three Yixlid Jailers on the sideboard. So I was like, I hope this works. I'm pretty sure it's timestamp based. So if I have Yixla Jailer in play, then I play Breach. I'm pretty sure I still get to escape. But then I played against Dredge in round two, and we were in game three, and I just went off. I resolved like a, a turn two tinker or whatever, and I put Brain Freeze on the stack. And with the Storm Trigger waiting to resolve, I was like, oh no, I'm at nine, and they have four Creeping Chills in their deck. I have to tar. <laughs> So then I suddenly targeted myself with all the triggers. <laughs> like, 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 Bre Breach was in play. I was going off and I was like, okay, so I have to beat these creeping chills. Yixla Jailer will do it. So I turned all of the copies of Brain Freeze onto myself, decked myself, cast Yixla Jailer, and then all of my graveyard <laughs> lost escape <laughs> with no cards in my deck. And then my opponent conceded. <laughs> Wow. That is a roller coaster of emotion. That's beautiful. It really was. I'm glad it was caught on camera. Love it. Yep. <laughs> All right. What have you two been up to on the on the magic front? Well, uh, like you, Phil, I was on 90s MTG last week. It was so weird playing with paper cards that and I had to like update my deck list. Right after I did my annual uh, deck showcase on the epicstorm.com, I resleeved. I did new hard perfects, new sleeves. So everything was in the box. It's just like it wasn't the most recent list. And just shuffling it, I was like, oh, new sleeves. Like I miss shuffling magic cards. I haven't done it in so long. And it was just really fun to get to play paper magic again. That said, I had to like 
prop up my cell phone underneath my mic with a like with rubber bands in order to get it to like stay up because I don't have a webcam. I have a built-in uh, like camera into my iMac. And then I like prop my phone up, but then I had like a wireless uh, charger on my phone to make sure my phone didn't die. And I'm like juggling all these things while playing Paper Magic. It was a wild ride. And uh, I'm really looking forward to playing again tomorrow. Uh, I haven't picked out a deck unlike Phil, but I told myself I wasn't going to play Storm just because I, I called out Phil uh, Blackman, our editor, and Roland on last week's episode or last week's stream. And I was like, hey, I'm going to crush these guys. So I don't want to play Storm again. It seems like not the best idea. So I'm going to try to figure out what I can actually build. And uh, I am also going to be on Legacy Pit, but not for like two months because I'm not cool like Phil. I was scheduled very, very far away. I mean, I was too. My time is just finally coming up now. Got to get on a VIP list. Like Tom Hep is on every other week. Um, how do I get to Tom Hep status? Like Tom rolls out of bed and just is on, you know, Legacy Pit. Although, to be honest, I don't know that. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know that like we have all that much time for recurring content pieces in addition to like doing all of our own regular content. Very true. So I've mentioned this a bunch over the last, you know, couple months, but like bringing over old tournament reports, I finished that a while ago. And then I was going through the Epic Storm ones that were already on the website. And I realized that like the first like five or six tournament reports weren't updated. So I went back and did that. And it was so weird reliving a bunch of those tournament reports because it's still in the four probe, four therapy, four empty era. And just reading all that stuff, I got like chills about how good that version of the epic storm was and i was just like oh my god like it was just so broken so many games were just like yeah i played therapy enforceable saw they had nothing made 14 goblins therapied them again i won like that was just stupid like i don't know why i was allowed to do that for so long i yeah, agree that it's was really nice when you get to like play one of those versions of the deck where it's just like it feels like i am like the top predator on the metagame and no one else has the message like there, there are just certain times where, like, if you're on the right deck, you are just feasting, and it feels so good because your win percentage will, like, literally be 10% or higher than normal. Uh, the next item was, somehow we managed to get Luis Scott Vargas on the EpicStorm.com. So if you want to read what Luis had to say on the Epic Storm uh, for Infernal Tutoring, make sure to go check that out. Luis's answers were pretty good. I was on Cardboard Live last week. We did a double scalding turn giveaway. That stream is up on the Epic Storm YouTube channel. If you can, support Cardboard Live. They're doing something really awesome. Uh, they're building their own streaming service. A lot of people uh, joined the stream for the giveaway, which is really awesome. Got a bunch of people to register. But there's also some people in chat complaining that they didn't have all of Twitch's functionality out of the gate. I think it's just important to let's manage our expectations for an up and coming company. <laughs> like they're like, why can't I do this or this? Or why aren't there emotes yet? It's just like they're building a platform. All this stuff comes in time. Like Twitch wasn't built overnight, just like how Amazon wasn't. So, you know, like be a little, I don't want to say gracious because it's not the right word, but respectful. Maybe. I don't know. Chill your shit is what he's trying to say. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Brian's a man. All right, Brian. How about how about you? What have, what have you been doing? Well, I had a collaboration with Phil and Dugs on Twitch. A new episode of Deep Analysis is coming out tomorrow at right now, which is in the past for the people listening to this and was the future from last week. 
So by the time you're listening to this, Deep Analysis with Phil and Dudes talking about Maverick and Death and Taxes is live on my channel. That was a lot of fun. Those are so much work. Oh my god. I know I've mentioned it before, but uh, I had to... I got called back into work after we recorded, but before I edited that video. So I ended up having to take my personal laptop into work and just sneaking recording or editing into my workday because there's not enough hours in the day to do it at home like I should have. But hopefully, please support that because it's a lot of work and it's a, it's good content. Uh, I'm still cranking out the daily videos, tons of legacy. Uh, this was a, a modern heavy week, but... Uh, at the end of every week, I do like a, a roundup on Reddit and post to the various format groups the the videos that will appeal to them. And lately, I've had several weeks where it's just like, oh, I did five legacy videos. Cool. And none of them are rug delver. So go enjoy that. I've I've been getting a lot of compliments that it's like, oh, I love how you're not just playing Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist in every deck. I'm like, amen to that. That's not an accident. Yeah, it's uh, not surprising that the people who are donating to see things don't want to see snow and rug delver like i cannot think of the last time that i got a donation for like a delver deck or the top control deck of the time like it doesn't happen yeah there's plenty of content for that <laughs> yeah uh i a bunch of people had been or not not a bunch but like enough i think it was like four people over the last three months said that i needed a new mic for my YouTube stuff. And the mic I use for this podcast is a nice, like high quality mic, but I don't always have access to this setup. I share the office with my girlfriend and stuff. So I do a lot of my video recording on my laptop with a headset mic. So it is a worse mic, but I can't hear the difference personally, but apparently some people can, and it's worth commenting. So I bought a new mic and I tr did the trial run today. And even after an hour of trying to set the audio stuff right and test runs and test recordings, I still ended up messing up that video. <laughs> like it's watchable. It's a good league. Uh, it, it's the the vintage league I was talking about earlier with Brian Stack, but just weird stuff happens where the first like half a syllable of every sentence doesn't get picked up. Like I haven't pushed enough wind out of my larynx yet to create enough sound to get over the noise gate so i need to adjust like the the gates and the compression and stuff and uh it it's just very wonky how all i did was plug a different mic into the same computer with the same settings and everything went to shit but the sound quality does sound better i just need to get the levels right growing pains for small channels is what it is i've been doing some called draft not a whole lot but my group text I'm in with Chris Stagno and Alex Bistecki, all they've been talking about for the last month is called I'm Draft. So I felt like an expert and just got a couple in this weekend. And finally, speaking of Kaldheim, my extended art foil goldspan dragon finally arrived that I pre-ordered, marking the completion of my Korvald commander deck. I have 100 cards. 85 or 95 of them are foil the five that are not foil don't exist in foil and i have already paid an altruist to foil two of them so th that deck is going to be 97 foils and three dual lands and i'm really stoked i posted a picture of it it was the first deck pick i had posted in a long time and that's because i hadn't built a deck in a long time and it felt really good to like lay out all the cards and get a good picture again because that's one of the things that 
I take pride in on my Twitter presence. So to pause you real quick, Brian, I looked at that photo. There were like three Japanese foils in the list. And I was like, Brian, come on. Like you, you, I know that you just bought all of this recently. And then I noticed that like one of the Japanese foils, I, I believe the card is Frexian altar. It's rare from invasion. Yep. And I was like, I'm pretty sure the Japanese foil one for that is like $200. So I was like, did Brian just drop $200 on that thing? Actually, sir, the English foil of that card is $200. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, well, so the Japanese foils, there are three, you're right. And I got lucky on all three of them. The three Japanese foils are Dragon Skull Summit, Rhythm of the Wild, and Phyrexian Altar. The Dragon Skull Summit, I literally didn't even notice it was Japanese when I bought it. I just saw foil Dragon Skull Summit at a reasonable price. I, I just sorted eBay by like lowest price, buy it now, and I just clicked on it. And it turned out to be Japanese. Whoops, great. The Rhythm of the Wild, that's like a $14 foil in English. And somebody from Japan was selling a Japanese playset of it for 20. I would just have to like wait a month for it to get shipped to me. So I bought the playset for $20. I put the one in my deck and then I sold the other three for $20 each. So that was, that was mad money. Uh, art of the deal, <laughs> sign it up. And then the Phyrexian altar was just like a miracle. I, I wasn't looking for a Japanese one. I, I was ready to spend $200 on the English foil on that card. And somebody had a Japanese foil, buy it now in near mint condition for two ten, and it turned out that it was like a COVID fueled. I'm out of my job and desperate for money kind of sale. Like it was priced to move, and I just happened to be there. There was actually a handwritten note in the card when I got it that was like, "Thank you so much for buying my card. I had just finished telling my wife that it was going to be a tough month financially." When the notification bell rang that you bought the card, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And there were several foil angel tokens in the in with the card. And I was like, that's heavy for eBay feedback. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I could help you. And you actually helped me. I got this, you know, steal of the day on this Japanese foil invasion card that looks absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, that, that was heavy. I'd feel bad about that. Like, I'm happy that you got a deal, but I like, if I was the one receiving it, I'd be like, ah, oh, should I pay them more somehow? Like, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah. I mean, like if I, if it was an in-person trade and the guy was like, oh, come on, I, I'm really hard up for cash. I wouldn't be like 150, take it or leave it, you know, but I paid the buy it now on, on his auction. I actually sent it a uh, best offer because he had OBO available. I sent a best offer. Uh, for like 195 that just expired after three days and then i just fired in on the full price uh because i didn't want to lose it i knew it was a good deal even as it was so but i got that and it was great there is one white whale for this deck that i don't know if i'm ever going to do because it has the similar price as a mox sapphire or in a hey mishra's workshop and that's the uh amano liliana from war of the spark the alternate art that thing is like a twenty five hundred to three thousand dollar foil, and it only is that exists. one of those like Final Fantasy style ones. It, yeah, it's the it's the Weeb alternate art, and it was done by the guy who did the art for Final Fantasy. There, like, there's like a multiplier, a normal like Japanese foil kind of multiplier on it, but this card jumps to three thousand dollars from like a couple hundred. I think the non foil is like one hundred, 
and I got the the foil version, foil English one. I think it was like twenty. So it's an insane multiplier just because of who did the art. So I don't know that I'm ever going to get that one, but that is the dream. All right, um, let's go ahead and uh, hop into the feedback section, which is really one of our two major topics for tonight. Because we kind of went two episodes without doing any any feedback or responses to listener stuff, we're going to kind of delve in, especially since some of the feedback was like both either heavy or interesting. All right, Brian, you want to fire off the first one here? Okay, so this question is from friend of the show, Julia Nab on Twitter, and it's kind of the, the setting for this episode. A uh, bit of a weird state in legacy right now. Motivation to create new strategic content isn't high, considering a much-expected and desired ban will invalidate it. We're currently in the metagame equivalent of garbage time. And Julian's totally right about that, and that's kind of why we're doing this feedback hangout kind of episode instead of really getting into metagames or decklists, because I we're all pretty sure it's not going to matter soon. But it's actually worse than garbage time. Like, lately Wizards has been doing the thing where they'll tell you there will be an announcement that affects Legacy. Like, that's kind of how they've been announcing bans, like, a couple weeks in advance. And we've heard nothing like that. Uh, they haven't even said, like, we hear you and we're working on it. it. It's just weirdly quiet. Like, we don't actually know that there's going to be any bans or what they're going to be. Like, uh, I assume the conversations are being had. One of the questions later is, like, is Watsy even listening? And we have an answer for that. But... I could ignore Oko completely, start making Oko-less decks, get ahead of the predicted future metagame. But what if then they don't ban Oko? What if like the data say it's it's fine and they just leave it? Then I spent two months doing nothing versus like, or if I could like brew the best Oko deck I can for the current existing Oko metagame. And then it's just, oh yeah, surprise, we banned it with three days notice. And then all those videos are moot. So I don't know. It, it's really tough to be making strategic legacy content right now, especially like now that I make a daily video, I schedule two weeks in advance. Like it's not like I record today and you see the video tomorrow. I, I need to try to stay relevant weeks in advance. And it's it's really hard right now. So something I've been doing because I've honestly felt a little burned out on legacy recently is I've just been recording more formats. Like if you look at the Epics from YouTube channel, you'll see that like, Monday was Legacy, Tuesday was Vintage, Wednesday was Modern, and Thursday was Pioneer. Uh, and then maybe I'll double down again on Legacy on Friday. But I'm trying to not play too much of it. And, like, I played Doomsday last week just so I could play something different. Just, like, it doesn't feel fun playing this format at the moment. And I'm not trying to be a complainer. It's just, like, it's the harsh truth that, like, we are kind of in garbage time and nothing we do really matters. I posted a YouTube video today that I didn't bother to advertise because the league just went so badly and it wasn't fun for me and it wasn't fun from the viewers. And the people who did like show up to watch it in the comments were like, wow, that's one of the worst leagues that I've ever seen. And it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is why I didn't plug this one. Like, <laughs> I was hoping most of you wouldn't watch it. Yeah, that's awkward. I've experienced that too, where you record a league, like you budget the the two hours or whatever to like, this is my content creation time. This is when I'm going to put the thing out, uh, especially you if it was a live stream, obviously you're locked into that. But 
Like I'll spend two hours of my time recording something and I'm like, well, that was hot fucking garbage. I got uh, turn one Tybalted four times and then I died to Oko in the other ones. And that's exactly what happened in that league. <laughs> right. So like, do I even post this? And then I figure like, I figure my pain is part of my content when a league just goes to shit. Um, I, I posted a modern league, modern eggs last month and I didn't advertise it. I didn't hype it. I was embarrassed about it. I went 0-5, which is something I don't think I've done in memory other than that league. And every game was awful. And even the one game, like not even match, the one game I actually comboed off, it took like 17 minutes to combo off and it was miserable. And like it was miserable to win and it was miserable to lose. And I just like quietly put it into the release schedule and it got like 7k views. It's one of my highest performing videos just <laughs> based on a good title and thumbnail. But like, I was not proud of that. I didn't have fun. I consider not even releasing it. Yeah. All right. So the next bit of feedback. Fuck Wizards of the Coast. This community needs to give Wizards of the Coast the boot. Legacy needs to become a community driven format like 9394. And this was from Jimmy Power Gamer on Reddit. The, the first thing I want to say here is that this comment was considered so bad by uh, Joe Dyer of MTG Goldfish that he specifically addressed it in his article. And this was feedback, I believe, on one of our podcast episodes. And he was like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't get that movement started because he was so afraid of what the results would actually mean for Legacy. Yeah, this this is a uh, a content spawning t sort of question. Like, so we're already in a spot where we're trying to convince Wizards of the Coast to pay more attention to our ban list, and we're already seeing Legacy Grand Prix reduced, Star City opens reduced or cut. And if when was the last? So we don't get many GPs, but when was the last old school GP? The 93-94 GP. Who won that one? Does anyone remember? Fucking nobody, because it's not real. And, like, some acknowledgement, some validation from the only sanctioning body that Magic the Gathering has is the only reason that Legacy even exists at all. Like, 93-94 is as bad as EDH when it comes to, like, showing up. You don't know what rule set you're under, because there's, like, three of them. And then... It's like, oh, it's not really about winning. It's about hanging out and having a beer. But then there's also tournaments with prizes. And then you get like magic legends like Brian Weissman cheating at a at a big tournament because the tournament does the format doesn't have any rules normally. And then they put big prizes on this casual like that is not good for legacy. And I do not want that. And nobody does. So to make a connection here, I know someone whose son plays very high level competitive Pokemon. Apparently with Pokemon, they only have standard. There's no modern, there's no legacy, nothing. So people play these older formats. And like once a year, there's like this big unsanctioned uh, tournament from my understanding. And no one really trusts it because there's nothing to enforce. Like, why would you like, sure, it's fun to play with your friends, but like, why would you play in that? Yeah, Vintage was like that for a long time. The, these young bucks these days might not even know about this, but Vintage was ripe with cheaters and uh, rule benders and all sorts of shady shit. Like you, you hear all these like glowing reviews of 
the old school vintage community where we, we just handled everything like men and we didn't need judges and this and that. And that's all a fucking smokescreen to hide the cheating. Like there were some good people, sure, but like it was not good. And I remember at one of the first Eternal Weekends, like when Eternal Weekend moved from Gen Con to its own weekend, Abe Corson was the vintage head judge. Abe is an old school vintage dude. He's been around the the Star City Power Nine circuit its entire existence. Like Abe, Abe knows what he's talking about. And in his opening remarks at Vintage Made Event of Eternal Weekend, where there was security at the door and judges all around, he added this thing that was like, now some of you might be used to a sort of <clears throat> relaxed environment when you play vintage. This is not that. Let's keep everything. And he had to make a specific comment about that because that's what happens to unsanctioned formats. And legacy, like for fuck's sake, don't send it in that direction. There's also another huge problem if you have two legacies, if you have like the official Wizards of the Coast legacy and then you have like crazy player run legacy. The Magic Online format is now different from the format that like uh, some portion of the player base wants to do, right? And if you kind of kill off, you know, the the official Watsi sponsored portion of it, like you don't get to play your your fancy ban list version of the format on Magic Online. Well, guess what all your content creators are using to produce their content? Guess why all of your grinders are invested in this format? It's because like they have challenges they can play in on the weekend. You know, they can potentially grab PTQ invites and things of that nature. Like, if you try to splinter the format and you take away, like, motivation for the grinders to play and your content creators have a harder time producing content for the format that you enjoy watching, that is going to lead to a lot of long-term negative repercussions on the format and people are going to lose interest. So another thing about that is, so the three of us came together and we chose two cards that we think could leave the format in order to improve it. I know for a fact that I'm in a couple chat groups where there's individuals in there that are known legacy, like all-stars that want 10 cards gone all at once. I don't see eye to eye with those people and that's fine. Like you don't need to agree with everything with your friends or whatever, but if it's community driven, who's making these decisions on what goes? Because like my word is no better than this other person's. And I just have a conflicting opinion. It doesn't mean either one of us is right or wrong or whatever, but it's going to be tough to hammer out details on what actually is legal. I have been approached in the past to be a part of such a committee. And I listened to what they had to say. And then I did not take a part in that committee i didn't want anything to do with it because i i think that sort of thing is very dangerous yeah like to that point our last episode where we advocated specifically for oko and dread horde arcanist to get banned i would not be mad if like uro and force of negation and uh valky i don't know like ban 10 cards sure let the dust settle and i'll play legacy but I, we were just trying to take the scalpel to what we thought to be the most specific problems and like sure if if watsi decides it's time to just axe 10 cards give the entire game a shake up if they want to ban days and ponder like sure like let's play that format now i don't know i'm just saying like i'll play what the sanctioned body says legacy is because that is the final word and 
getting into these like oh our our group doesn't play with fetch lands like oh good for your group i'm gonna enjoy cracking my brainstorms while i can like and i'm gonna beat you because my deck's better and, and like somebody has to come up with that uh, i played Yu-Gi-Oh uh, in in high school when it was brand new like i watched the anime when i was a kid and then the card game came over to america and i immediately bought in and i played Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments until there was the first ban list. Uh, I think it was like five or six sets in, and there were cards that were restricted up to that point, but there was finally something broken that needed to get banned. And it got banned. I rebuilt a new post-ban deck, showed up to the same store, the only game in town in New Jersey, by the way. Patrick Sullivan used to own that great store. But I went to the only game in town the week after these cards got banned with my uh, new ban list deck, and the the store owner or the tournament the to or whoever was like oh um a lot of people were mad and didn't build post ban decks so we're just going to ignore the ban list until further noticed and it's like what i just got a ride <laughs> yeah right and i was like 14 years old i got a ride from my mom 45 minutes to this game store with a deck that can't compete like imagine if everyone else knew they could play gataxian probe and and Renan six and I didn't and like I just showed up with some normal deck and it was like do I even want to pay my ten dollars to play today like I want to go home you're not doing the right thing and like I had I had this like deal with my mom where like she'd drop me off she'd go see a movie or like I don't know go play golf with my dad for a while and then come back several hours later so I was stranded I was on an island it's fucking fourteen years old being miserable in a game store all day because this alternate reality of what should have been the rules was being enforced and that's a bad feeling so brian i'm sure you also experienced this growing up in the magic community but uh the way that it's traditionally worked is a card gets banned and then they go it will be banned in paper three weeks from this date which is the effective date i hated going to locals for those three weeks because people would shun whoever played the card that got banned like i remember when top got banned people were like trying to get in their last games with top and everyone at the store would be like you're a scumbag i can't believe you would bring that card here how dare you like don't you respect the rules like it was always just like so hostile and weird and i don't know yeah but the joke is they were following the rules and there actually were real rules and if we get into this world where the rules are made up, like uh, that's been my biggest critique of Commander and EDH all along. Like now there seems to be a pretty solid like one to ten tier, like well-defined power level of Commander scale that I think is a pretty elegant way to manage a casual format without a massive ban list. But you can't do that for an actual sanctioned tournament format. Like the when you just sit down and it's like, Oh, we don't play like that. Like, well, then I guess I can't play. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't know. Wasn't that like part of the problem with online commander? Like they had one V one for a little bit. I think they got rid of it, but it was like the French rules where like you weren't allowed to play with like good cards. Like you couldn't run soul ring and mana crypt and stuff, which is just like crazy to me, but I'm not heavily invested into that format. So yeah, I mean, that was a different thing. There was a, 1v1 version of commander it was basically like 100 card singleton vintage and it had its own ban list it wasn't like a different commander adjacent format which as long as you know the rules coming in it's fine but if i think i'm playing under those rules and i sit across from you and you go mana crypt soul ring turn two time stretch gg like oh my bad 
I didn't know. And there was no way to know because like I'm I came from out of town. I like if you run into people at a Grand Prix these days, the command zone has more players in it than the Grand Prix does. They came from all over the country. They need to know what the deal is when they sit down. And uh, like all of this is I think this whole idea is crazy. And it's the reason that I left Commander for so long. I have a new deck now. Let's see once I get back out into the paper world if I'm miserable. Like right now I can queue up with Corvold on Magic Online and just mark the game power level six and generally get what I want. But if I'm like, if somebody comes up to me at a Grand Prix and it's like, we want to play Commander between rounds? And I'm like, hell yeah. And then they go off on turn three. I'm going to have a bad time. And that, uh, yeah, I I, th- I feel like this horse is sufficiently beaten and dead at this point. All right, next one. Uh, Dreadheart Arcanist's pattern matches to the four, sorry. Arcanist's pattern matches to four of the last eight cards that were banned in the format. Cheap engines or threats that slot into Delver. Treasure Cruise, Deathrite Shaman, Renin Six, and Lurus. And this was part of a longer post by Viking underscore on Reddit. Hold, hold on. You're, you're telling me that history repeats itself and that the blue decks with cantrips are going to keep playing all of the, the best cards that they can possibly play while still making the mana work? Well it's, oh! well, it's not even that. Like, we've beaten this horse to death already, but, like, they added another force to that shell. What the fuck were they thinking? Like, now every busted engine is just going to be, like, the best thing that you can be doing for the foreseeable future. Yeah, all all those engine cards just feel so good in, in Delver. Like, and any time that something's mana cost is just, like, one pip off, Delver's like, whoa, get in here, bro. I need you. Yeah, so I actually read something fascinating. It was a tweet from Gavin Verhey yesterday where he, we were joking about, there was like a Twitter joking about two mana Tibalt because, you know, the the current seven mana Tibalt actually costs two where it matters. And apparently one of part of Gavin's interview to be, join Magic Design was they gave him a you know, quote unquote fake card and told him to correct the design. And the fake card they gave him was Tibalt the Fiendblooded, the original two mana Tibalt from Avacyn Resort. And it had a different name, but it was mechanically identical. And Avacyn Restored was already in the box at this point. Like, it hadn't been released yet, but it was done. It was shelved. Design was over. It was like a plant on his interview. And he wrote a thousand words on why two-mana Planeswalkers are fundamentally a mistake. Like, they're either going to suck and just be a two-mana Planeswalker for the sake of it, or they're going to be completely unreasonable if they're even remotely playable. And nine years after he wrote that, we got Ren and Six. And it's it's just like it's a really cool read. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it, it was it. actually like really fascinating. It's on his Twitter. Check it out. If you don't if you have Twitter and don't follow Gavin, uh, I'm actually going to talk about Gavin in the next question, too, because he's just such an important front facing community member uh, from Wizards of the Coast. But it, it was really good read about why the, the idea of a two mana planeswalker is fundamentally a mistake. And the thing about planeswalkers is that they're permanents that generate about a card's worth of value per turn. Like it just in a vacuum, that's what planeswalkers do. Deathrite Shaman is the joke was it's a one mana planeswalker. L- Ren and Six, literally a planeswalker. Dreadhorde Arcanist, 
pretty close to a planeswalker. Luris, pretty close to a planeswalker. So that's the kind of thing that any any two mana stupid thing can slot into that spot just fine and pushes Delver from tier one to S tier just like that. And because this sort of thing happens, some community members have argued like, hey, do we need to get rid of Delver or Daze or Ponder or something like that to just kind of generically weaken this shell so this sort of thing doesn't keep happening again and again and again and again. Yeah, we've talked about this before a long time ago on the cast, but uh, Blue-Black Delver was dominating Pauper a little while ago. It was right after they printed Foil, or they downshifted Foil to Common in one of the the Master Sets, and so then Blue-Black Delver had Force of Will, basically, in Pauper. And we thought there was going to be bans, or we knew there were going to be bans, and then they ended up hitting Days, which nobody saw coming, except for Wizards of the Coast, and it turned out to be really great. Like that that was just a really smart ban, and I don't miss it in the format, and like a lot more games just play better. And like I, I'm not advocating for banning days in Legacy. Legacy might be the right power level for days to exist, but I'm just a card like Days getting the axe would not break my heart. Alright, our next one. Does anyone from Watsi ever hear this stuff? Like, do we have anyone who ever reaches out from headquarters and lets us know that they hear our concerns or responds in any way? Maybe not on Reddit, but somewhere? Anywhere? This is from Borisar on Reddit. Something that can often be really frustrating about Magic is that intentionally, the game right now is not handled as a transparent game. Data is hidden from us. A lot of times, if we as players want data, we have to mine it ourselves and do things like the Vintage and Legacy community are currently doing, where we manually watch a whole bunch of replays to figure out what people were playing and the results of matches, and use that to curate our own data. Whereas some of the other digital card games, they're like, okay, here's the weekly updates, here's what decks are doing really well, here's our ban watch list, here's our errata for these cards because we think they're too strong. And that is not the approach that Wizards of the Coast takes. Yeah, so uh, here he is again, Gavin Barry. He was recently on Leaving a Legacy. Uh, Their last episode of 2020 was Gavin. Uh, Listen to that if you haven't. Uh, It's always really cool getting a real conversation with an entrenched Watsi employee. But he's made it very clear in that episode that yes, he sees this, yes, he hears this, yes, he relays it back at the office. He couldn't really talk about anything beyond that, or he didn't have the information. He was pretty upfront when, like, I had nothing to do with uh, the the Walking Dead secret lair. I would tell you if I could, but I just wasn't on that project, sorry. And he has those pretty straight-up answers. But that dude spends more time on Twitter than anyone on the planet. And he is reading everything, and he is responding to most of it. So, yes, Wizards of the Coast does actually know that we're saying this. They're not deaf to us. It's just what they're doing about it and on what speed they're doing it. That is, that seems like it's starting to become kind of egregious. So we said the word neglect in the last episode, and that was something that a lot of people on Reddit seemed to like. Like, they liked our selection of words there. I kind of feel that way still. Like, we haven't heard anything about Tybalt, which we'll get to later. Like, not even, like, a hint that something could be... Like, they're still tweeting jokes about Tybalt. 
It's like destroying formats. God. All right. Like, I, I gotta, I gotta say something. It, that sort of shit from Wizards makes me so damn mad. Like, everyone's like, my format is on fire. And they're like, it's Monday. Here's your meme about how broken Tybalt is. Ah! <laughs> All right, I'm done. Yeah. So they're out there tweeting jokes about how great Tybalt is and how funny it is and etc. Like, oh, Tybalt is a kid, Tybalt now. Like, yeah, real funny. Uh, but we would just like some sort of acknowledgement that like, hey, we're going to make a change. Like Brian said, like three weeks from now, we're going to have a BNR on March 3rd or whatever that Monday is. And like, let us know that, like, you're at least considering something. And the transparency is just, like, killing us because, like, we get nothing. Like, no one even reached out to say, hey, we listened to your episode. We got nothing. No feedback. All those retweets, likes, etc. We didn't hear anything. So, or at least I didn't. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned this, but our previous episode was our most listened to episode with the three of us as cast members. So we we got a we got a lot of listens in, but it's it's really wearying as like a legacy player and a content creator for just like the radio silence to continue on and on and on. And it's just like, am I crazy? Are things actually yes. fine? To the first question, <laughs> not the second. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's I think there are two likely scenarios here. One is they're perfectly aware of everybody's position. So both us who say it's Oko and DHA that'll improve the format and uh, the, uh, the honorogs and the Bob Wongs out there who want like seven to 10 cards banned, like that, that's cool. Like they're also smart people in the legacy community. It's possible that they are banning something in legacy and they're hammering out in meetings, how many things and what they are. The other is we got where, producing new products at a breakneck pace, just the secret layers, the supplemental sets, the scheduled sets, the arena exclusives, just all of this stuff. And we don't have time to worry about legacy. Like those are the two, I think, reasonable forks that could be going on in Watsi headquarters right now. And I have known some people who have contracted with Watsi. They've been in the sort of meetings where, uh, business strategy is discussed and obviously they're under ndas so they couldn't tell me a whole lot but i've heard from numerous sources that however much of a drop in the bucket you think competitive magic is compared to commander and draft and edh it's even smaller it is smaller than you think like i i i am already like pretty sure like i've known for years that tournament magic and i'm not even talking about legacy i'm talking about grand priest and the pro tour is a drop in the magic bucket those don't really sell packs they don't really pay for themselves but it is smaller even than i thought it was and legacy is a tiny little drip four formats removed from standard so just have some realistic expectations about policy or or about like priorities where like if the legacy community just sounds like a bunch of petulant children who always want more, then they're, I don't know. I, they could ax legacy tomorrow. Like legacy is no longer supported. Good luck out there. Handle it yourselves. 93, 94 style. And is that better or worse? Like I, I'm not trying to be an apologist. Like they do, if they're going to sanction the format, they should spend some time on it once in a while, especially when it's this bad. 
but like it's really not a priority for them so going back to your drop in the bucket thing i am good friends with someone who owns the game store that i play at here in syracuse new york they say that the majority of their sales are like some guy in a tie that looks like a used car salesman will come in, drop $300 on EDH foils, and they will never see that person again. That's what keeps these stores in business. It's just random EDH players that you would never know play Magic. I bought a car in October of 2019 before the pandemic. I was test driving it. They asked me what I do for fun. I said Magic the Gathering, and the response was, who is your commander? Like, (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. So, like, that's just the reality of what Magic is. Like, Magic is Commander at this point. Standard is second. Like, Commander is the driving force. And I do think things like Draft are pretty high up there, especially on Arena. Arena is a money machine. But, like, we don't matter. Yeah, I had a similar conversation. Uh, It was with someone who I thought was a friend at the time, uh, this conversation actually ended to in a giant fight and falling out, or it came out during a giant argument where uh, a a game store owner was trying to charge me full double TCG for a card for the third or fourth time over the span of a year or so, where like, I walk in, I'm like prepared to spend $7 on a card and they want 14 or I'm prepared to spend 25 on a card. And they want 50, like literally double TCG price. And I like called him out on it. Like the third time I was like, what are you doing here? Like you're ostracizing your, your customers. Like I'm in here three times a week for the past 10 years. And you can't give me a fair market price. Like what is going on? And he was basically like tournament players are the worst you are not my best customers and you're not important to my business at all. Like the people who walk in the door and just drop, they buy a case of the new set every time a new set comes out and then they come in for commander foils in between. Like, and they don't play tournaments. You don't see them on the weekends. They come in on a Tuesday night, drop 700 bucks, and then you'll see them next month. Like that's who this is for. And those people are not tapped in to like TCG mid pricing. They're not, they don't have like eBay up on their phone while they're talking to you, them. Like, because like in maybe it's kind of douchey to be like, hold up your phone and be like, I can hit buy it now for 25 now and you're charging me 50. Like, maybe that's douchey. I don't know. I'm just, I'm in there trying to give them my business, is how I feel about it. Like, I want you to have my money, not this eBay seller. I'm trying to do business with you and you're not letting me. But uh, the response is just, you know, tournament players that you're not where I make my money at all. Yeah, like, I think a lot of players who are in our boat, and by that I mean, like, competitive grinders who have dedicated a lot of time to some specific format or another, like, we end up taking money away from the store in a lot of cases, right? Like, we we walk in there, we pay our $20 entry fee, you know, we, we top eight, we walk away with, you know, a decent amount of money each time, that process repeats like I was definitely definitely ahead in my interactions with like say my last local game store Star City Games like they they lost money to me being there and I can I can totally get that at a, at a larger level yeah I mean that certainly I mean hopefully they're a game store is structuring their tournaments in a way where the tournament pays for itself even if you individually are making money uh, like I've been a net loss to Wizards of the Coast and every game store I go to, 
uh, for over 10 years now. Like I, I can't think of a single store that I've put more money into than I've gotten out of at this point. But there are also the you know 29 other people who show up to FNM every month and they don't. Like there are the people who have never made top eight. Like top eighting FNM is their next level up that they're waiting to hit. And those people are putting money into the pot. But yeah, like that that game store owner that I was just talking about, I stopped going to their store. I stopped buying singles from them. I only show up when they have a tournament that's special, like a PTQ, or they have like a yearly invitational that I qualified for. And I've been in there like three times in the past two years. And two of those three times, he had to cut me a $1,000 check as I walked out the door. <laughs> and like, I yeah, I could see that position too. But and if the business model is running correctly, that shouldn't actually cost them money, even if you personally are making it. But yeah, uh, we we don't buy much. We buy the tournament staples we need, and we probably sell them back when we don't need them anymore. All right. So the next thing, one thing I would like to hear that I don't think you mentioned was, have you evaluated non-banworthy cards with quotes around them? Uh, potentially in the context of a non-OCO, non-DHA format. What are your thoughts on Dreadhorde Arcanist in a non-OCO format where Chalice is more common? Creature removal potentially gets a little more dense, and Graveyard Hate is more played in sideboards. Okay, so I'm going to lead on this one here. I think the fact that Chalice checks Dreadhorde Arcanist is a fucking lie, (laughs) and I hear people say it all of the time. If you are playing Dreadhorde Arcanus in your deck, you have fucking answers to a Chalice. And it, do- it doesn't matter, like, what you're doing, like, you are going to be able to beat that card. Well, you have six like, of them out of the bef- gate. Yeah, yeah, starting with your six or seven Force of Wills. <laughs> and then let's talk about two mana answers. Yeah, like, it's been different in different time periods, but it's been things like a Braid, Brazen Borrower, Teferi, uh, Abrupt Decay, something of that nature. All these cantrip decks are are never just dead to a Chalice of the Void. And I think if you're playing a Dreadheart Arcanist deck that has, you know, 6 to 12 free counters plus some number of answers to Chalice, I don't think the Chalice deck actually checks that monster. The games where the Dreadheart Arcanist gets on board and there's not a Chalice are a landslide in favor of the Dreadheart Arcanist player. And the games where the Stompy player puts a Chalice into play are non-games for a couple of turns, and then they naturally draw the answer, and then it's like, oh shit, the floodgates are open. Yeah, uh, like, it's not 2011. I don't know what people have heard. Like, I I played Rugdelver in 2011, where turn one Chalice actually might be GG. Like, there's one Ancient Grudge in in my deck, and I have to draw it naturally. So, like, I have lost to Chalice Lights Out, but that is not true anymore, and it hasn't been for a long time. Like The Chalice decks need to curve Chalice immediately into another threat or another lock piece to stay competitive. Like The the Chalice decks that I like, you play Chalice on one, and then you play Urza or Karn on turn two, and you don't have time to find that answer to Chalice, or uh, Eldrazi Aggro. Remember when you could play creatures in Legacy and win games? But like, if you have Chalice of the Void on turn one, Thought Not See on turn two, Reality Smasher turn three, that's a fucking game plan. But just mulligan to five until I have Chalice on turn one, 
hope it's good enough, hope I'm on the play, hope they don't have the answer naturally, hope they don't have one of their seven force of wills. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Who do you think you are? What world do you live in? And even if you do stick the chalice, if you don't follow it up and end the game in the next like turn or two, if you don't steamroll something, even like Goblin Rabble Master will do it. But when they find that Brazen Borrower or that Abrade or that Abrupt Decay and the dam breaks, you're dead. It's just that, okay, uh, drew the Abrupt Decay, pop that, unlock the Astrolabe, Astrolabe Ponder that's been sitting in my hand. Now my hand is three Force of Wills, another Abrupt Decay, and, an o- and another threat. So uh, go, good luck. Like that's, it, it is just not real life. That chalice checks Dreadhorde Arcanist in any meaning sort of way. For the longest time, I've been against bans, but this episode convinced me. My only qualm is the implication that Chalice being bad is an issue. Chalice is a single-card awful play pattern. Oko making Chalice bad is the single best argument I've heard to keeping Oko around. Alright, so this is from Yakavillian on Twitter. And uh, I guess let's... Uh, what bullshit? Let's, let's talk Chalice like, more. Are you kidding me? You don't get to choose what's a great play pattern. Like... There, people enjoy different things about magic, and legacy is what we're here to talk about. Phil likes Chalice. Phil likes Karn. I don't like Phil. That's fine. I'm joking, Phil. I love you. You're beautiful. <laughs> but I hate those cards. Uh, in the double Scalding Turn giveaway stream that I just did, I lost my cool for about 30 seconds because I hate Karn so much, and then I regrouped. I was like, Bryant, you're recording. Act like a professional. But I hate Karn. Like, but that doesn't mean that, like, we should keep extra Karn checks legal in the format just so I can be happy. No, like, you need to be an adult and accept what's good for the thing that we all love. And, like, that's getting rid of Oko, sure. But, like, you don't go, well, I don't like Chalice, I'd prefer to keep it around. Alright, and another thing here is that Chalice of the Void is not a good magic card. I say this as, like, someone who registers that card all the fucking time and loves playing with it. It's not a good card. It attacks a very specific subset of cards and decks, and it rewards you for having it in the right matchup at the right time, and then when it's the wrong matchup or the wrong time, it is a fucking embarrassing card to have in your deck and a dead draw endgame. Plus, you can't just jam Chalice of the Void in your deck. There are significant costs to playing the card. Mostly, you can't play one-drops. You know what's pretty good in Legacy? (laughs) One-drops. Like, the format is built around one-drops. Like, if you ask someone, what is the one card you associate with Legacy? You're going to get Brainstorm 9 out of 10 answers. And, like, that, like, Brainstorm, Ponder, Swords to Plowshares, Dark Ritual, it noble hierarch fuck it like the number of like one drops like pick your deck a green sun zenith like it's one drops are are good like i i I don't need to convince you that one drops are good obviously you understand mana curves but like you don't get to play them in a chalice deck and then on top of not having one drops you then have to play weird ways to get more mana because chalice of the void on one is a two drop how are you going to get to two mana on turn one before your opponent gets to cast several one drops despite your chalice? And you have to play cards like Ancient Tomb, which are a huge liability against a Delver of Secrets metagame. Uh, you have to play Mox Diamond, which is card disadvantage. You have to play Simeon Spirit Guide, which is card disadvantage. Like There are serious deck building costs 
to putting Chalice of the Void in your deck. And even then, everything Phil said is still true, where you draw that thing on turn three instead of turn one. Nice job. You you need it turn one for the matchup. You mull to five. It gets forced. Good job. Like, that's... It, it is just, like... I, I hate Chalice of the Void, too. Like, I don't think that card is fun. I don't like it. I'll, I'll put it in decks like Urza because it, it works, but I wish Chalice didn't exist. But that doesn't mean I'm going to ruin the format to have one extra answer to it around. To circle back to something Brian said, was talking about 2011 Rug Delver and how the entire deck was one mana cards. Yes. Looking at 2020, 2021 Rug Delver, that is not even close to being the case. Uh, like Those decks have real mana curves now. Like You see a 1, a 2, a 3, and then 5 for force. Um, which was, I guess it's always been there, but these decks just don't flat out lose to that card anymore. Like the effectiveness of Chalice has really diminished over the last two years, uh, to the point where like, I don't even think you can make a logical argument for Chalice being banned. Not that anyone here is doing that, but the card is just not as big of an issue as it used to be. So why are you using that as a justification for keeping Oko around? And one other thing here, I actually think the play patterns where a chalice has resolved, but the game isn't literally over on the spot. I think those games are actually really interesting. Nope. Because they... <laughs> anyway, ignoring Bryant. Because they totally warp the thing that matters and make you reevaluate cards. So, for example, like, your cantrips become dead. Can you find a new way to use them? Yes, I can convert them into monks or young pyromancer tokens. Or I'm playing a storm deck, I have these cantrips in my hand, they're going to sit there and rot. No, actually, I need to cast them because it'll work towards threshold for my cabal rituals and get me hellbent for my infernal tutor so that I can actually win through that chalice. I think watching people puzzle through how to beat a chalice is actually really cool. Yeah, or like there, I play Gurmag Angler or Hooting Mandrels. I don't have it in my hand yet, but I want to be able to cast it when I do. So then there's the calculation of I play two Hooting Mandrels and I play one Brazen Borrower. Should I be spewing cantrips for the the double the chance I draw Hootie Booty or should I be saving them in case I draw the Brazen Borrower and unlock them? And like there are interesting decisions in those games. And I, I think that is fine for Chalice to exist in Legacy. I think this is the right place for it, even though it is miserable to play against when it's doing the right thing so you mentioned a card in that sentence gurmag angler like remember when that card saw legacy play before oko i remember specifically the let's ban death right talks and reading reddit and people going no i really think it should be gurmag angler that leaves that's the, the the problem in the deck everything else dies to lightning bolt and now like when was the last time you saw someone cast a gurmag angler the legacy practice room like the card does not see play. I played one in uh, Popper on the channel last week. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's just because all of the best cards are are blue and green right now. Like if you're not building your your mid range blue deck to support Oko, you're just doing it wrong. Like Hooting Mandrels is getting play because Rug Delver is a green deck. If we get rid of Oko and Grixis and Bug Delver open back up, then you might start seeing Gurmags again. All right, next one. I've I've sung enough about Chalice of the Void and its splendor and wonder and glory. I do find it curious that banned discussion always centers around what cards could be banned to improve the health of the format, 
but never what could be unbanned in the pursuit of the same goal. And this is from Crottle in the context of Legacy Unchained and Mystical and Vampiric Tutor. Can I go off before Brian says his logical answer? Yeah, sure. Go for it. This makes me so angry. And it happens. I, I read it in almost every single band discussion thread where someone goes, well, I watched Legacy Unchained and Mystical Tutor didn't seem like a problem there. Yeah. Well, you also got to run four Wheel of Fortunes. Like there is a bunch like four Tolarian Academies. Like, sure. Mystical Tutor doesn't seem great when you get to run four of the best cards. You could run four Yawgmoth's Well. Like, of course, I'm not running Mystical Tutor, but that's not like Legacy Unchained and Legacy are two different things. And please, for the sake of my sanity, please quit comparing them. Like they're just not the same thing. Like unbanning 20 cards to see what would happen is very different from what Legacy is actually like. Uh, Terminus, for example. One mana mystical for Terminus is really good. Or if you're playing a Delver deck, you can now chain the time walk. Uh, I forget what it's called. Temporal Mastery, maybe? And Yep. Like, why would we want to give Delver a tutorable time walk? Thought experiments like Legacy Unchained are not useful for figuring out what is an appropriate power level for actual Legacy. And I would just like to inform you that Vintage already exists. You can play all these cards. It's called Vintage. Like, check it out sometime great uh, format it's really fun yeah it is a great format but it has an identity where you expect things like mystical and vampiric tutor to happen uh versus legacy where i don't think for one second the solution to oko is go faster like becoming a turn two format to beat a, an oppressive three drop is not good are we seeing <laughs> like, that right now it we are saying that right now yeah so uh we're gonna talk about tybalt at the end of this episode but yeah like if you want to play like legacy rug delver against vintage dark petition storm and just see if you're having a good time like just i mean let me know how that goes because it's gonna be bad like it's not gonna be fun and then the arms race pivots from like the mid-range arms race, which is an episode we did about a month ago, into the turn one arms race. There there was an old joke about Vintage where the early game is deck building, the mid game is registering for the tournament, and the end game is turn one. And that's not really true about Vintage either, but that is that doesn't sound healthy. It's not fun. It's not funny. It sucks. And Tybalt is actually getting us into that conversation anyway. Like, going faster to beat an oppressive three drop or, or an oppressive two drop in Dread Horde Arcanist is not the answer. That is not the healthy format you're looking for. All right. So the last one that we've got for our feedback section wasn't actually feedback from the podcast. It was just something that happened on Twitter, but I figured it was a good one to port to the podcast because it's actually pretty interesting. So this one was directed at Brian. You've been recording a wide variety of decks for YouTube lately. In what ways do you think variety helps and hinders your play? And this was from the Mind Chasm on Twitter. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure sure Phil's going to want to answer this too because he's in basically the same uh, content creation space as me. But it's a mix. Uh, people who watch my content know that I'm not afraid to charge into some punts in the name of science. Like I promise you, I really don't play six leagues with a deck, get really proficient with it before I record. I'm usually recording the first and only league I'll ever play with that deck. I Sorry, my I don't have that many hours in the day to, to get perfect. But 
seeing me learn more than seeing me play perfect. And like, instead of, as long as I'm like, oh, okay, if I had sequenced it this way, I could have gotten around that spell pierce rather than like, oh, bullshit, they had the spell pierce. They're so lucky. Like, as long as I keep that positive educational mentality, I'm fine losing because I made a mistake. Uh, the point is that you watch the content or I play the decks and I learn there. So I'm not learning in rounds one, two, and three of the next Legacy Grand Prix. I should already know this shit by then. So I do take losses because uh, I've never played with certain things before. Like the story I told earlier, I've never had Yixlid Jailer and Underworld Breach in the same deck before. And I learned on camera the hard way about how you play those two cards together. So that happens. But then at the same time, because I had Yixlid Jailer and Underworld Breach happen to me the hard way in this league, I'll know exactly how that works for the rest of my life. Like any time two cards are going to interact or two weird things are going to interact, like it never occurred to me until I played my Bogles League a couple weeks ago that Oko would remove the first strike, the lifelink, and the vigilance from Daybreak Coronet and the draw a card off Curiosity and just make a big elk with it still gets all the plus one plus ones but it doesn't it loses all the ability words like i would not have considered the way that that layers up until i saw it in practice and just seeing these weird things in real time is the only way you're gonna know about them and then i also know what matters more like how to pinch off those decks when i'm playing against them like i i'm pretty sure i've mentioned this before but i recorded an epic storm league with bryant where in our final round, our final game, game three of the final round, our opponent had turn one deafening silence. And I realized just how fucked that is from the storm side. As from the from the blue side, I'm like, okay, I resolve this. That's just like the first step, but they're gonna have the chain of vapor, they're gonna have the the abrupt decay, they're gonna like I, I need that's just step one. I need to get like a handful of counter spells on top of that. I need to find a null rod to back it up. But on the other side, the Storm players just already packing up their cards. Like, I, I did not really feel until I was on that side of it that if you want to deploy a Lotus Petal, that's your turn. If you want to preordain, that's the turn. Like, just feeling how slow that really is compared to how fast you want to go. Uh, I would never have really understood that if I didn't play the other side. Yeah, so I think I've been doing donation deck lists for, like, three years now or, or something like that and like really embraced the variety for the last two years and i can tell you that my format knowledge is vast like i understand how all the bullshit decks that are hiding in the corner of legacy like i know how those work i know what cards are in those deck i know what interactions matter and that sort of stuff is invaluable for the first couple rounds of something like a gp where people are walking with their pet decks they've been playing forever and you encounter some of the weird things like Nick fit in those early rounds that you don't, you know, normally see if you're just, you know, grinding away on magic online or something like that. But at the same time, this comes at a cost, right? So when I first started making content and it was all death and taxes all the time, I was playing five or six leagues a week with DNT. And that is not the case anymore. So if you are, you know, a specialist of some kind, like you, you lose out on a lot of reps with a singular deck by going and making variety content. And that has real costs. So I'm not a variety streamer or variety recorder, or whatever you like to call it, but I branched out a little bit last week. I decided to play Doomsday. 
And I don't know if the two of you have this, but honestly, it like struck a little bit of a nerve with me. I had three people watch my video and then message me through Facebook. The first one was, you would have done better if you played my list. All right, that was message number one. The second message I got was from a Doomsday player that said, before you record next time, you should really consider memorizing the piles. The immediate thought I had in my head was, fuck you, dude. I decided to play one league with this deck. Like, I don't owe you anything. And the third one was just like, you didn't play very well. I You should practice before next time. And it's just like, wh- why would I ever record another random deck again if that's how I'm going to be treated? But also, like, you couldn't even leave the comments on YouTube. Like, you felt the need to message me through Facebook. Like, why is that acceptable? Yeah, so you should have played my list. I take donation deck lists. Let's set something up. That's how I respond to that. Uh, actually, when I recorded Ruby Storm like a month ago, it was sort of a suboptimal list. It didn't have Lion's Eye Diamond. It was just a donation list. I, I don't know about Ruby Storm. I didn't have the awareness to be like, oh, this list is suboptimal. But I recorded that list. Then two different people both hit me up and were like, you should play my list instead. And I said, I take donation deck list if you want me to run it back. And I'm going to be recording my third league with Ruby Storm this week. Uh, one came out last week. One's going to come out in about two weeks. And it just made for good content. Like I'm getting better with the deck. I'm getting different takes on the list and it's, it's good content. Like you put your money where your mouth is. As far as the, like you should have played better. Like I've gotten some pretty aggressive comments. Like there was one league a long time ago when all of my favorite cards were still legal and modern where I had, I was playing tireless tracker. It was a one of in the sideboard in Urza and in, in Wurza, like the, the War of Invention Urza list before we cut all those bullshit cards. And there was a sequence where I was one card in hand short of getting an ensnaring bridge to shut them down. Like if, if I could have gone to one card in hand instead of two, I would have been stable, but I couldn't figure out where to, like I started the turn with four cards in hand and I was like, how do I get this down to one? And it turned out that what I missed was if I had played the tracker and then made my land drop, the clue token would have given me enough mana to whir for the bridge and leaving one card in hand. But like just trying to get my thoughts in line, I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely going to need as much mana as possible. So I just played the land first. And then I started assessing the three spells in my hand. And like, okay, that's that's definitely a mistake. I could have had it. And I'm not going to make that mistake again. Like, I'm the one who caught it, too. Like, in the video, I played the land, then I started looking at the spells, and then I went, oh, no. And then I counted it all up, and I was like, yeah, that would have worked. My bad. Concede. And then someone in the comments was straight up like, that was embarrassing. You should learn to count before you play decks like this. And it was longer than that, but, like, you should learn to count before you play decks like this was the part that stuck with me. Because I have three vintage eternal weekend top eights including a win with a deck like this Wurza and po are not that different i won a grand prix with Wurza. Uh, i i just farmed ptqs with Clark clan ironworks for an entire season i know exactly how to play decks like this quote unquote thank you very much random youtube commenter it was just i i am live i'm trying to narrate my plays trying to get my thoughts in order and this one specific interaction i missed one time and then i immediately caught it (laughs) like chill your shit in general just chill your shit 
that sort of thing. Like, uh, like I'm out here practicing. Like, if you want to see me playing at my best, watch tournament coverage. Like, I, I'm here to practice, and I choose to share that with you. Just, just enjoy it. Yeah, streaming is also like hard, whether it's streaming or recording for YouTube or whatever. Like, the more things that you're bouncing around and trying to do while you're playing one of the most complicated games in the world, like, the more brain power is just not focusing on the thing that you need to be focusing on. Um. I, I know people have said it all the time, but streamers probably play 5 to 10% worse on camera than off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have Pithing Needle naming Pithing Needle because I was recording. Like, just uh, I'm worried about like, narrating the play and I'm worried about watching my audio levels and making sure everything is still in place. And it, my brain says Pithing Needle. And then when the the prompt pops up on Magic Online. I just type in Pithing Needle, hit enter, and now I have Pithing Needle naming Pithing Needle. That's a thing I've done live on camera. Do, do you think there's any chance that would have <laughs> happened if I wasn't recording? Like, there's not. <laughs> and it's just these these little edges I give up in order to provide content. So just you know, take a breath before you send some aggro comment. Also, one of my favorite things is that YouTube sends me a notification with a comment when you comment and I still have that notification even if you delete the comment so oh yeah I have some real good ones that people deleted I'll get like if you had just pyroblasted a random land or something that would have been the prowess trigger for lethal and then I go and look at the spot and I just don't have any red mana <laughs> and like okay I, I'm glad you had the wherewithal to look at the situation and delete your comment but just like these people firing off this aggro shit or like some somebody on my uh my shardless valky league they were like why would you uro in that spot you could have brainstormed the valky on top of the deck and then cascaded into it 100% but my opponent had teferi in play and cascade doesn't work with teferi in play so like just these spots like this like i'm happy to answer the question if it's proposed like maybe they don't know that's how Teferi works. Maybe they think if I main phase my shardless agent like a good boy, I get my Valky because it's in my main phase. And but like that just doesn't work. And I'm happy to explain like, oh, Teferi stops Cascade. But just don't be an aggro douche about it. Yeah. The way you phrase questions drastically changes the sorts of answers you're going to get. And because, and sometimes, honestly, the answers are, hey, why didn't you do this? And the answer is, well, because I was an idiot and just, like, missed it while I was streaming. And they go, oh, okay. And, like, you get rewarded, you get your little dopamine check because you caught something the streamer didn't, you know. But then there's other times where, like, you're actually playing around something and you're just, like, not narrating why you're not doing a thing that looks obvious at a surface level. Yeah, I released a Turbo Tibalt modern deck like day one after Call Dime was released, I recorded it on like, it was released like Thursday night, recorded it Saturday, it dropped on Monday. And I probably got six different comments suggesting that I put Viseju in the deck. And Viseju, for the record, gives Violent Outburst uncounterable, not the Tibalt's trickery that you cascade into. So it doesn't actually help protect the combo in any way. So like four of those comments were like, hey, doesn't this deck, wouldn't this deck benefit from Beseju? And for those, I say, oh, you would think so, but Violent Outburst, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. But two of them were like, this deck obviously needs Beseju. I'm just like, I just ignore those or like thumbs down them. It's just, 
Just like the way you say things matters. So question for you guys. For a, a while, when I got really into my content creation uh, in December, I tried to reply to everything. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like try to hit it as much as I can. In the last like week or so, I've just gotten the like my videos have picked up a lot of followers. It happens, whatever. There's been some where I'm just like, I'm not going to respond to that because it's going to make me look bad. Like, I'm just better off not commenting on those. And maybe that's a good thing. But. I feel bad not responding to people that are doing what I want them to do. I want them to comment, but they're doing it in a way that I don't like. So I don't comment. And that makes me feel bad too. I and mean, uh, it depends. Like I do respond to basically anything constructive that needs a response. If it's just like, Hey, nice deck. I love your channel. I, I might just thumbs up that like that doesn't need a, a typed response necessarily. But if someone asks like, a question that seems silly to me, like, oh, why didn't you ponder? It's like, oh, because they have Chalice of the Void. Like, I'm happy to type that back because maybe they just missed it or whatever. But if it's if it's aggro or in any way just obnoxious, I'll probably ignore it unless I'm in the mood for a dunk. Like, I, I took a dunk the other day. I, I had someone who was just being, like, really hostile and, like... I, I think it was on the on the topic of like asking for likes and subscribes and they were like, you know, I'm intentionally not doing that because you're asking for it. And I gave them like a, a serious answer about like the YouTube algorithm and why I do that. And then they proceeded to like continue to crap on me for doing it. And I'm like, okay, well, just so you know, what you're doing right now is actually helping my engagement score. And by telling me that you're not liking and subscribing, you're actually doing a ton of good for me. And they got real mad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had one like that, too, where, like, I, I have a 30-second intro in the beginning of my videos. It's, like, 10 seconds of theme music and then, like, a 20-second pitch, like, like, comment, subscribe, here's my Patreon, I take donation lists, and then we get in. And I don't think 30 seconds at the beginning of a two-and-a-half-hour video is a lot to ask my viewers. And I had somebody comment, like, isn't asking for a like and subscribe before they've even seen the video uh, a little bit aggressive on your promotion? And I was just like, oh, uh, what do you think the correct amount of promotion is for someone who puts in hours a day of work to give you something for free? Had no response to that. But yeah, that sort of stuff is is annoying. And it's whatever. Those people clearly don't understand how the model works. Or uh, I, I think it was Pleasant Kenobi. I, like I tweeted that response and like Tolarian Community College and Pleasant Kenobi and all the big YouTubers liked it and and engaged with it and i think it was pleasant kenobi who said that his theory is that those people are jealous that they're not making content themselves like they don't have the the talent or the time or whatever the problem is and they just are bitter about the idea that someone else might be succeeding in an area that they're not and i don't know i'm not a psychologist but it certainly feels like something's a little pent up like clicking that sub button is a hundred percent free it takes no time doesn't even pause the video it's right there on the screen the like button's even less effort, like less of a commitment. You won't get notifications from me either. Just click it. Like, I don't know who you are that your your like button is such a, a guarded resource, but good luck with your life. I don't know. <laughs> On another inside baseball thing, just so you know why we ask at the beginning and not at the end, although we often do that too. Most people don't watch an entire two hour video, right? Like they fire it up over their lunch break. They watch the deck tech. They watch a bit around one. Maybe they'll watch a little bit more in the evening. 
you know, most people aren't making it to the end of every two hour long video. So if we're only asking at, you know, the very end for those things that are really important to us growing as content creators, that doesn't that doesn't do us a lot of good. And to most people who aren't super stingy with their likes and subs, who aren't personally offended when you ask for them, it really is just a matter of reminding them, like just saying, like, remember to like and subscribe. And they're like, oh, yeah, that I can like and subscribe. I got like, like 800 subs in a month. Because I started asking for it, I had large, largely like mistreated YouTube for two years or whatever. It was just my dumping ground. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to grow on this channel. And I'm like, hey, can you all like and subscribe? And a bunch of them went, oh, I've watched your videos every day for the past two years. I'm not subscribed. Oops. Yep, uh, it, it really is that simple. Or a lot of the time, like vid videos just autoplay. Like uh, if somebody's watching something on Phil's channel and YouTube thinks they would like my video then my video kicks in when Phil's is over and they might turn it off three minutes in when they realize the video's rolled over. I got to ask for that like in the first three minutes because they're going to be gone. Uh, uh, it, it can seem a little shameless if you don't understand why that's important, but at the same time, understand that it's a lot of work and like, what do you want from us to just like do it for free? We don't owe you anything. So I agree. Uh, I have one thing to say. We're going a little bit long, and we haven't even talked about current legacy. So why don't we head into uh, the legacy. actual... This is going to be a really short section, but yeah. Fuck current legacy is the, the main attitude here. <laughs> but Tybalt, what a mess. And I'm seeing people like out there tweeting for bans and changes. Honestly, I just think that they need to... Like, honestly, when, they, when I first saw Tybalt, I go, oh, that card's cute. And I didn't put much thought into it because I would have assumed that it had the same fix as the split card fix with boom bust. And that's just not the case. Why isn't that been impli like implied already? Like fix it like wizards. It costs you nothing to just change a rule right now. We don't need a big BNR update. Like if you're not going to like take care of Oko and Dreadhorde, at least say, Hey, by the way, we realized that this didn't work as intended. We are now saying that multi-face cards have the same ruling as split cards like boom bust you cannot cascade into boom like how difficult is that instead you're letting formats burn and you're tweeting jokes taking one step back for a minute i want to talk about our opinion of the card as of like spoiler season we were more or less of the opinion that this was going to be something that was going to get tried in like a snow shell or some sort of like shardless bug sort of shell. And it was going to be like playable and fine and like something that was not going to be egregious. It's a little bit clunky. And even though it's powerful, like if you have to like brainstorm to set it up or randomly cascade into it, that was that was not going to be an issue like. We, we said last episode, and good thing nothing from Kaldheim is going to ruin Legacy. Thank you for that. Now, there's, yeah, we, a, there's we, a... We missed that one. <laughs> there's a tiny asterisk there, because all of us were thinking, like, fair blue mages, not, like, degenerates. And when the degenerates got a hold of Tybalt, they created Turbo Tybalt, which is... It's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I was on leaving a Legacy for their Kaldheim preview episode uh Valky slash tybalt wasn't even on jerry's list of cards he wanted to talk about like i brought that up on my own like oh we didn't talk about Valky, and he's like what's Valky?" and then we talked about like the cascade into the backside and then we talked about how like 
Oh, Tybalt seems like pretty good, but I mean, it's cute. Like it might replace Ancestral Vision as like the card that's great to cast in Cascade into, but not great to draw, you know, that sort of thing. And we had completely dismissed the front half of Valky, which is you know, like Mesmeric Fiend with upside. Like in my bug Valky deck or my bug Valky league, I killed an opponent with Monastery Mentor. <laughs> like I had turned two Valky remove the mentor from their hand, pay three mana the next turn, make a mentor, and then start casting spells. I just fucking oh, mentored them out in my bug deck. And so I had completely underestimated the front half of Tybalt as a magic card. I had also underestimated Carpet of Flowers just casting the seven mana side of Tybalt, which is another thing. So after I played that league, that that mostly fair and square league, I was like, this might be better than I gave it credit for. I think this is going to be a legacy player. And then, like, a day and a half later, I saw the screenshots. I, I think Anurag was the first person I saw post one. I don't know who actually invented the deck, but just every three mana cascade spell and four Valkyries with the spirit guides and stuff to ramp them. And that, I was not thinking of building it like a hypergenesis deck. I was definitely thinking of it, like, as Ancestral Vision, not as hypergenesis. Yeah, I know. Arkin won the Legacy Challenge with it, and then... Uh, Daniel Gottschall was playing Delver and I think split the finals of another challenge with the Tybalt, the Turbo Tybalt deck, and it placed some other relatively large number of results into the challenge decks. Part of this might be it just being the new thing on the block and people aren't ready for it yet slash preparing for it yet. It's worth noting that Daniel took a week off before winning another Legacy Challenge with Rug. Like, that's three out of four events that Daniel has won with Rug recently. But uh, the response that I liked to that was at the end going, hey, I split the finals. I beat the Turbo Tybalt decks three rounds in a row up until that point. Maybe I'll consider one cyborg slot for it. That was that was the oh, response. God. Yeah, that that tweet was impressive. <laughs> like, that's how good Rug Delver is that we're talking about how dumb this Turbo Tybalt is. And Rug Delver was like, eh, maybe I'll consider one slot. The riches. Yeah. So there, there is something really neat about the Turbo Tybalt deck. Like, the deck is very good, but the deck is only as good as the deck you are playing against. So I played an Enchantress League against Turbo Tybalt, and we had a 50-minute match because there were not win conditions in my deck. Like, they could not find them. They had to kill me with Spirit Guides. So... Like, this Turbo Tybalt deck is good, but there are, are some weird matchups where you're like, oh, you have a Tybalt on turn one? Okay. Enchantress, go. Strings three spells together. Go. I'll put a win condition into play. Ah, you Tybalted it. Alright, I killed your Tybalt. Alright, you got another Tybalt. And there's actually a huge amount of back and forth because my opponent couldn't find win conditions off of my cards. I don't know what to say about that. It was interesting. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. What's a lot less interesting to me is that Tybalt is frequently on the stack turn one or turn two, and you have the force of will for that one. Good job, you survived. Guess what? They're untapping into turn three. Here's another one. How many forces do you have? And then when the dust settles, there's still the rest of the deck. Like, the, the yeah, Ocos, the deck... The four of them. Yeah, the deck can play three drops without ruining its cascade density so 
you spew all of your answers dealing with their turn one and turn two Tybalt, and then they untap and jam turn three Oko, which was a problem for the format before we even had Tybalt. Remember that conversation from just a week ago where it's like turn three Oko is busted, and now it's turn three Oko after you've fended off two seven drops already. And if the Cascade spell with Shardless Agent, they have a 2-2 in play. Like, forcing a Tybalt that came off a Shardless Agent is a 3-for-1. Like, at best. And, and like, the, the residual 2-2s can just kill your opponent. Like, that that's the power of Shardless Bug. Well, we're not even discussing the fact that this Turbo Tybalt deck essentially plays 12 forces. It runs 4 Force of Will, 4 Force of Negation, and 4 Misdirection. Misdirection is not a true force. But if you're trying to force the Tybalt, they misdirect the force to the misdirection, and then that's a force. So they have 12 free ways to stop your force of will. Yeah, misdirection is a smoking gun that a deck is broken. Uh, that is the most offensive force of will that there is, like the most offensive option, because it doesn't really work on D. Like that, You're not going to be like misdirecting their Oko. It's, it's only to win counter wars when you need... Uh, a insane density of pitch counters and let's talk about sideboard cards either sworn canonist shardless agent is a creature uh my or an artifact mind break trap only two spells were cast deafening silence shardless agent is a creature chalice are you gonna put it on seven good luck uh force of will leaves the two two body behind that's the three for one exchange like this is a serious pummeling of resources early and often and you don't even have to mulligan to the Valky because you have you know, 12 or 16 Cascade spells. Like, you just need one of those. It, it, I think the consistency of this is going to end up being a problem. But it can just be fixed. Like, yeah. all they have to do is say, hey, this rules change also applies to multi-phase cards. Like, I don't get why this is such an issue. Then they're just staying silent about it. Uh. The reason for that is there is not a rule that states if a modal double face card would be cast for no mana, you can pick the side. It's just a confluence of other things that already exist in the rules and how they intersect in exactly this situation. So I'm sure they're working on it. I'm sure they know it's a problem. And they're just, I'm, I'm sure that, that they're like figuring out what the most elegant way to fix this is. Like, Maybe they will just make a rule that says you you can't cascade into the back half of a modal double face card. But then what if the front costs two and the back costs three and you cast Bloodbraid Elf? Then like that that's a blowout. So they have to figure out how to do this in a way that doesn't nuke all of the other rules that are already affected by the rules that are creating this interaction. So it, it's not quite that easy, but I trust that they're going to be able to figure it out. So you don't have any thought in your mind that it's a money-based uh, driven decision. I'm not saying that it is, but I've seen some people saying like they're trying to squeeze as much money out of they can out of the call time sales before they make a change uh, because like they recently released their Q4 uh, stats saying that once again, uh, magic is proven to be, you know, super like makes a ton of money, et cetera, with arena being the biggest money grab. Um, but they're saying like the, the tweets that I'm seeing. They're just waiting to see how much money they can get out of it like they did Ikoria before fixing Companion. I mean, maybe. Like, 
I, I don't know. I'm not in those meetings. I'm not going to speculate on it. I know that if that is a factor, it's coming from some like heartless CEO. It's not coming from Aaron Forsyth and Mark Rosewater because those guys actually do love magic. So, I, I mean, if that if that is a thing, like, I don't know. What are you going to do? They're a business. We live in a capitalist society. <laughs> I, I think it is mostly conspiracy theory. But even if they came out tomorrow and were just like, yeah, we need the money as much as we can, then we'll fix your format. Hey, then at least they'd be telling us that we're, they're going to fix the format, right? That would be an yeah, I mean, th- This is an expensive game that we choose to play. It is a business. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, people who get mad at Wizards of the Coast for like secret layers and shit it's like they're making money all of this means magic's gonna survive another year like let's let them have it i don't know like i'm just not interested in that conversation during a pandemic yeah when everyone's getting stimulus checks and uh, i guess that's not fair that was tremendously privileged there are a number of people out of work and miserable and selling off their magic cards just to make rent but then there are also another group who have just moved virtual. They don't have other expenses because they're not traveling. They're not eating out. They are getting stimulus checks. That is all bonus money. So there is a large segment of the population who has more money to spend on magic than normal. Like uh, I, I'm not rich, but I didn't lose my job during COVID. And I have bought more boxes of magic in this year than any other previous year. Like just when a new set comes out, I drive over to Clubhouse Cards and just buy two or three boxes and crack one and put two on my shelf. And that's money that I would have been using traveling to a Star City Open in previous years. All right, gentlemen, anything you want to end the episode on here? Once again, I would just like to say fuck Karn. I, I, I feel like this was cathartic. There was a lot of therapeutic value to all of us ranting about various things like just shutting down bad ideas and letting our thoughts known about aggro youtube commenters and this felt good uh there's very little strategic value but we warned you at the beginning there wouldn't be so thanks for sticking it out this far all right we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the eternal glory podcast we'll be back in two weeks with uh i I don't know like maybe a maybe a new metagame watsy watsy please bye-bye